everybody, welcome to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. I'm your co-host, Javen Brapham. And I'm your other co-host, Tyler Duncan. And today we're talking about a very important subject. It's auditioning and the process of auditioning and, and how to prepare for an audition. So I'm going to be talking to Tyler about his ex experience with auditioning. Um, as we all know, Tyler is a member of the Air Force Band in Washington, D.C. So we're going to talk a little bit about his process to get to that position that he, he's currently in and the steps that he took preparing for the audition. Um, but before we get into talking about auditions, we're going to talk about the important thing, which is coffee. So Tyler, what are you drinking today? Yes, sir. So I have uh, a new bag this week. The last two episodes, I was trying the same bag, so I decided to change it up. So there's a, it's not local, they're based out of New York, and they have a few coffee shops here. They're called Four or Five Coffee Roasters. And, and again, originally from New York City, so the Four or Five, the five boroughs of, of New York. Mm. And um, yeah, so the bag that I have from them is Ethiopia Jira. And it's, they rank their roast on a one to five. So one being like the lightest and five being the darkest. So this is like on the lowest, this is a one out of five. So it's a very, very light roast, which at first when I was trying it, it the light roast almost has like a thinner texture. So I was like, eh, but it started getting better uh, as it started to age actually a little bit. And uh, so again, it's a light roast. So it's a little bit more acidic hints of apple in this one, which is really, really good. Um, again, and it's sweet and kind of bright in flavor. I tried it on the Chemex and the Pour Over. Both are pretty good. I mean, I don't think there's a, I, I, actually, I would like to try it on like a AeroPress mm -hmm. to see like how much acidity and brightness you can get off of that. But it's, it's pretty good. It was a little bit more on the expensive side. And when I mean expensive, I think it was like 20 bucks for the bag, which it's a little pricey for a bag of beans, but um, I usually kind of looking for like that 15 to $18 range, you know, something like that. So 20 was a little bit, eh. Would I get it again? Maybe if everything else was out. Um, it was kind of like a try, not so much like a buy or sell, you know, type of thing. Um, what about you? Um, so I'm also uh, drinking uh, some from a new bag I just got, uh, I think two days ago. Um, so if you follow Instagram account, you, you saw the picture of the bag, the fresh bag. Um, it's from Dancing Ox uh, Coffee Roaster out of Belmont, North Carolina. It's their Costa Rica um, single origin. Um, it's, it's a medium roast. It has uh, dark chocolate, orange, peach um, tasting notes. So very interesting blend, especially the, the peach part of it, because we're used to like the orange and and the chocolate yeah but uh the peach gives it that little extra like mm, you know um so i i've been doing it on my um my chemex uh i i do want to try on my french press just to see what the biggest differences are uh, i haven't done that but i, I am going to do that probably this week at some point um so that's what i'm drinking it's really good it's really refreshing it's even though it has like the orange um tasting notes it's not to acidic, which, you know, I was kind of expecting it to be because at least from my experience, I feel like um, Central American and um, beans are really like uh, acidic, um, but it's, it, it didn't have that quality. I mean, it's a little bit there, but it's not like overwhelming. 
Um, but that could be due to many factors in the brewing process um, on my part. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's delicious, really good. I would recommend it. It was 16 bucks. So it's in that, that uh, it's in that range. <laughs> it's in that range. Um, so if you guys want to check it out, uh, again, it's the Dancing Ox Coffee Roasters. Um, so you can buy it on their website or if your local coffee shop sells it, even better, support your local coffee <laughs> coffee shop. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm drinking. Um, yeah. You, you're gonna I got a question that? for you. Yeah, oh, so yeah. Uh, did you buy it off of their website or is there a, a local place that sells so their beans? I, I was out of town uh, to visit a, a friend um, and I went to the coffee shop in their, in their town. Um, so I brought it from the local coffee shop there. Um, my coffee shop here where I live doesn't have this one. They reason why I end up buying Perks Coffee so much is because that's, you know, my local coffee shop has that. Uh, at least my, one of my favorite coffee shops in town has a bunch of Perks Coffee. So I was out of town. So this is what they had. So I was, oh, I haven't had that. So I have to check it out. It's perfect. Um, they, they had a few other um, of their, their beans there too. So I just picked this one. It was in that price range. I, I, I nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so auditions. Tyler, um, you have taken a number of auditions, particularly um, military band auditions over the past, I don't know, five, six years or so, maybe a little more. Um, could you kind of walk us through your process um, in having a successful audition, winning a job, what it's like to win a job, what it's like to prepare for a job. So maybe to make this simple, could you tell us like when you first, from the moment you first see there's the job posting, there's going to be a military band audition on this day, however many months in advance, that can you talk us like through that step from day one to, you know, the moment you're in the audition room? Yeah, sure. And like you said, it is definitely a process. And I think I want to say first off that um, people can go about it in different ways. There's not one correct way of, of doing it. But I think the more you research and listen to people talk about audition success, there are a lot of similarities. So from there, you can kind of pull and kind of create your own. Uh, so yeah, if I see a job posting first, I ask myself, do I want that job? Um, so for me, I was really looking in the DC area, so the premier bands, and but not all premier bands are the same. You know, you have the different branches. And so there were some that were more, um, not really my cup of tea that I was really interested in. So making sure that you're the right fit. So they actually do post job descriptions and what you would have to be doing. So that's important to, to look at that first. Uh, the next thing that I do is I check the dates. So I make sure I don't have any conflicts. So I make sure that one, is it during a weekday or is it during a weekend? I've noticed many of my military auditions occur during the week. So that was a little, it made it a little bit more challenging, especially being in school when I took a majority of my auditions. Um, but just realizing like, okay, is it a one day? Is it a two day audition? Uh, and then making sure like the calendar's available for that. The next thing that I do is I check if there's a pre-screening or not. So either they'll have a, a pre-screening where you have to send in a tape and your resume and they'll listen to it. And if you're accepted, you'll be invited to the live round, which is great because 
On the other hand, you have a cattle call, which is an open call to anybody. Typically, you just send in your resume. They say, thank you. You've been invited. And there could be upwards to 180 to 100 people there. Whereas with the pre-screen, it kind of weeds out the first round. I think in a couple of the ones that I did that were that had the pre-screening, I think the Pershing's one, they invited 12 civilians slash um, active duty people that were there. And then with the West Point one that I auditioned, I think there were seven of us there. So your chances of having success or winning go way up versus, you know, maybe one out of 100, you know, one out of seven. I like those chances a little bit better. Absolutely. And if there is a pre-screening, I look to see again the dates. When's everything due? And then the rep for that. Do I already know it? And then from there, I look to see, sometimes they'll post a list, sometimes they won't. Um, you know, it's like, if you get accepted, then they send you the list. But if they've already sent you the list, if that's already made public, then I immediately print off the list and kind of get myself like a little binder together. And then immediately from there, I make a playlist. So once I've committed and I said, okay, the dates look good, I can make it there logistically. Um, Pre-screenings do this time, okay, here's, here are the etudes, here's the excerpts that I need to play. Okay, I'll take care of that. Then from there, it's making the playlist, listening to the music, and then thinking backwards almost and saying, okay, I have X amount of time to prepare for this. And then the real challenge begins of formulating and coming up with a plan that's going to allow you to take you through four, six, eight weeks of prep leading you into that audition. Um, and I can go into specifics with that, or, um, you know, I can just start with that. Like, that's kind of where I stand once something's posted. That's kind of my thought process and the steps that I take from there. So, yeah, so let's get into that, actually. Yeah. So your, your process is, all right, I've, you know, I'm going to take the audition, all the scheduled stuff lines up, I can get there, you know, I've, you know, are going to do the pre-screening and everything is aligned. It's like, this is the job I want. I can see myself in it. So now the process starts like, okay, now it's time to start working on, you know, the list, the list of excerpts. So I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, working with your teachers or listening to other people talk about auditions, you've kind of um, accumulated all these resources and kind of come up with your plan of attack. So can you just talk about like what that is, just what the plan is, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. So when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. It was a complete hogwash. Um, and I thought the prep for it went really well. My first audition was actually for the position that I'm in now. Uh, that was back in 2017. That was my first ever like professional audition. And um, I remember, JV, I, I sent you a lot of recordings because you were getting your doctorate at that time at Florida State. And so you're kind of my only lifeline, so to speak, when it came to this. And, uh, you know, I, I come from the school of like, oh, if I need to put the work in, that's fine. I'll work hard. Like, that's not an issue for me, um, which can get you far in some ways. But I think with auditioning and really now my philosophy has changed a lot. I mean, you got to have the work hard, but you also got to have the why and you got to be a little bit more strategic than just putting in the work. Um, Cause you know, it's some people say like, Oh, you need to think less. And it's like, no, it's just a matter of like what you're thinking about, you know? So um, 
for this last audition that I won, because I think that's where pieces started to align. And I think that's kind of what people want to listen or hear. Um, our One of our friends, John Kilgore, he mm-hmm. had come up with a audition rotation. And it's funny because I've sent that to so many people. And I, I sent him a message when I won this job. And I was like, hey, man, you should publish this thing for two for two. Um, but basically, it's figure out how many weeks you have to prep. And then from there, you base everything off of, okay, in the last two weeks of your prep, everything is at basically audition ready, okay? So audition ready, meaning tempo, phrasing time, all that stuff that you're going to work out, that has to be ready and polished to go two weeks before, because in those last two weeks, you're going to be doing mock auditions, tons of mock auditions. And I know some people are like, you you know, you should be doing mocks before this and that. But anyway, this is this is what I did. So last two weeks, just straight up mock auditions. You're not learning anything. You're refining and getting your body and mind conditioned to having to execute when the time is ready. And I think that's the hardest part about taking auditions is we can prepare and sound good. But when we walk into that room, can we execute the way that we did in the practice room? All right, just like the Olympics right now are about to start up. We know these people can swim, but it's at this moment, can they get the job done? So uh, basically, say you have six weeks to prep. The last two weeks are mock auditions, and then you have four weeks of what the heck do I do? So to start that chunk off, I get the list. I figure out first off how many excerpts I have, and then I divide them up into... Okay, is this technique oriented? Is this slow? Is this loud? Is this soft? I kind of put them in categories to kind of see similarities and differences. Okay. And then some people would say, well, what if you already know these? I treat it as if I don't know them. I treat it as if this is the first time I'm playing them. And I also, this is one of the things I got from John Kilgore, is that I took everything. Okay, so except for maybe like Pines of Rome, because that's very slow, but anything that was fast or moderately tempo, I took at half speed for that first whole week. And that was very, very interesting because that's the first time I've ever done something like that. Um, And again, I think one of the things that separated this audition prep versus the other one was the depth at which I worked and practiced and methodically maneuvered through these excerpts. So before, maybe you slow it down, maybe 70%, 80%, you do that for a day or two, but to do that for a week, that takes a lot of uh, discipline to do that. And so let's say you have the Ives um, excerpt there. That one's pretty quick. So you start at half speed and hindsight, you know, looking back now, maybe I would do some things a little bit differently. I had the process of where I would buzz it with a drone. So I'd set everything on with the drone. I would buzz it. I would slur it then I would add in the articulations. So I kind of had like a three-step process. If I did it now, I wouldn't do the buzzing because I think that just wastes a lot of face. Uh, But I would continue doing the drone work and the half speed work and slurring and then putting articulations in. And what this did, one, was allow me to really just not be in a rush. For a whole week, you're allowing yourself to work at half speed to really understand how does this excerpt, one, work in the key that you're playing in? Two, what are deficiencies that you're already noticing? Um, Three, can you play it with a great sound, um, with great time, 
with great rhythm, all these things at half speed, because if you can't do it at half speed, there's no way you're going to be able to do it at 75, 80, 90, 100, right? So this was really eye-opening to kind of set that foundation, right? Because a lot of times we get into excerpts and we right away start practicing it, trying to play it as if we have to perform it next week. And all that does is add really bad tendencies it, it starts to add tension. It starts to uh, create bad habits and associations with these excerpts. And, you know, why do that when you can say, okay, here's a fresh, clean slate. And what, what's interesting is anybody that's taken auditions, you realize a lot of this rep gets recycled. And so if you can say mentally, like, okay, this is how I played it. These are my weaknesses, what I've done it before and say, you know what, I'm just going to treat it since this is the first time I've ever seen it. I think that really opens up and allows you to um, not come from it from like, oh, I know how this goes type of standpoint. So long story short, first week, half, half tempo. Then from there, um, you have three weeks remaining. So you can, there's some people that I know that will put this on an Excel and figure out how percentage wise the number needs to go up each week to make that work. So it's 60, maybe 70% the next week. Um, and so you slowly bump up the tempo. And what I like to do is I have like the quarter note equals whatever on my excerpt. And, um, you know, I mark the tempo that I have it on. And again, if there are 18, 20 excerpts on the list, you know, I choose, you know, three or four each day to work on maybe three, especially at the half speed. And really we're going for quality. We're not going for quantity. We're not trying to rush everything. We're really going for quality within those excerpts. Okay. Um, so on that second week, it's like the same process. It's just a little bit faster and you see how the body does. And if the body isn't getting it, then you slow it back down a little bit. Now you don't have to go back to 50, but maybe you go back to like 60, 55, 58, something like that. Again, you're trying to get your body to do this thing on demand essentially with ease, okay? And while this is going on in the prep, you're continually and consciously listening to these excerpts, you're listening to phrasing, you're listening to sound, how this excerpt fits in with the piece overall, like at a global perspective, right? So you're doing that homework aside from just the nuts and bolts type of thing. So week three and week four of that little prep, again, you're bumping it up. And so by maybe week four, maybe you're at 90%, 95%, slowly bumping it up to a tempo that even if it's a little bit under, nobody's gonna care. And so at that point, um, you're kind of really going for, can I play this at speed? Can I do this in rotation with these other excerpts? Um, you know, one of the things too that John Kilgore wrote in this prep was that, um, and I've done this before, is particularly when you get to the mocks, having like a bag or something to where you have these excerpts written down on a sheet of paper and then you randomly pull that out and I, I'll get into that a little bit of mock auditions and how serious or, you know, how serious you can make those, which are great, I think, but um, not starting each day with the same excerpts, like changing it up, like going from a fast to a slow, from a loud to a soft, because that's what the committee is going to do to you. They want to see if you can go from playing like some of the heroes to playing taps, like that's the whole goal is to kind of put you through the ringer. So Assuming that in those four weeks, you're figuring out the nuts and bolts, you're really fine tuning. It's almost, it's almost like drills types of thing. 
types of things. And, uh, and of course, too, at that time, um, you want to be working on the musical side of things. And I think in those last two weeks of doing mocks, I think when you do those mocks and you're recording, I think it's at that point where you're listening back. Again, you don't have to worry about the nuts and bolts, but you're listening back and saying, okay, what am I trying to communicate to the listener? And I think that was the hardest thing for me was as I was doing these mock auditions, I would listen back and be like, man, I thought I was crescendoing there. Or, oh, hey, the time's just a little bit off here. Or, oh, hey, uh, when I go from this excerpt to this excerpt, for some reason, like the start isn't there. You know, like random things will kind of pop up in those recordings that can kind of be a little unnerving because you think, well, I just did a whole month of prep. Why is this happening? And I remember kind of getting frustrated at first and it took about three to four days. And then all of a sudden I remember it was like, wow, the body started to click. It was like from listening to myself enough, one, the ego kind of left. Yeah. And I think that's so important, particularly during the audition prep is like leaving the ego at the door. And I was able to say objectively, is this, an, is this what I want it to sound like or not? There is no like maybe. And if it was great let's just get some more reps doing that. And if it's not, okay, why not figure out? I remember I had a practice journal and I would make notes after every mock audition. You know, I would play around of like five or six and listen back and make notes of like what needed to be fine-tuned and adjusted. And then in the next session, I would practice those and record it and listen back to see if I was making those adjustments. Um, okay, I know I'm kind of like getting getting off a little bit so okay so you've done the prep work in the first four weeks now you're in the mock auditions this is again something i took from john kilgore predetermine your list beforehand set it on a stand pack up your horn um walk around a building like if you're at school or you know if you're in a house or an apartment whatever walk around your building whatever go into the room have the list out, figure out, okay, this is the order. Take your instruments, set your phone on record, play the list down, pack up, then you're done, right? Because that's exactly what you're going to do in a round. And having that ability to get in that mindset, to get your body used to, oh, okay, we're going to walk around, then you have to go and execute. Like getting your body used to that is something that I think is massively underrated particularly in, at the college level. I don't think people realize the amount of repetitions that we need to make that not feel foreign anymore. And so, um, I mean, think about it. If you take one or two auditions a year, you average one audition every six months. So your body knows what that feels like once every six months. If you work out once every six months, your body is not gonna remember what that feels like. It's gonna wreck yourself, right? So it's like you have to, like auditioning is, is like a game within its own self. And so you literally have to condition your body and your mind to get used to what that feels like. Because in an audition, you're running this through. You're not stopping, starting. Like however the face feels, you have to continue. However the mind feels, you have to continue on. And I think that's something that gets overrated, which leads a lot of people to maybe have a good first round, but kind of suffer in the second and third and the later rounds. So... After that is done, um, 
I typically like to, some people like to wait and then listen later. I like to listen right away because I, because it's fresh in my mind and I want to see, you know, what exactly came across. And then from there I make my notes and then I pack up and, and then go on and do something else. And then I come back and address it. And, um, you know, what I think is important in this prep, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning, and sorry, this is like a long-winded answer, but I think there are many steps and stages to this, is that while you're doing all this prep and process, your fundamentals still need to be the first thing that you address every single day. And so I would, I wouldn't say I had um, a set routine during this process, but I kind of had it down to, I'm going to spend X amount of time on fundamentals every day. Maybe it was 45 minutes and I would divide that up over like two sessions, you know, like a 20 minute session and another 20 minute session. And then I would start the work because, you know, that, I think that's another thing that gets lost. People say, oh, I'm just going to warm up a little bit and then go straight into playing excerpts. And for me uh, at the time, it was like, I needed to continue making sure that foundation was there and then applying that to those excerpts. And of course, if there are things in the excerpts, like the I've seen the double tonguing and stuff, maybe I would put that in my, my double tonguing routine or something like that. That way you're kind of crossing paths, you know, so to speak, that kind of thing. Because um, that can happen, particularly when you get to the mocks is burnout. A lot of people, and that started, that almost happened to me towards the end of that mock two weeks was I was starting to get a little fatigued and a little tired, which, you know, then brings up the tapering kind of before the audition. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you want to make sure that you have a rotation of all the excerpts and you want to be playing through all the excerpts every day in those last two weeks. And again, because if you can play the whole, all the, all the excerpts two weeks out, and then you do that for two weeks, when you get to the audition, you're like, oh, I've already been doing this for a couple of weeks. Like it's not foreign, it's not new. And that's the other thing too. Uh, many people go into it not having ever played the whole list down. Again, another tip from John Kilgore is a week out from the audition. Uh, I don't know if this is something I would still do, maybe, maybe not, but he would run the whole list in one setting. All 18, 20, whatever excerpts, uh, solos, everything else. And I remember he wrote on there in the notes, if you can do that, you're going to be fine. And I remember getting through that and I was just like, cool. One, it checks, you know, mentally, can you hang for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes to play all that stuff. And two, face-wise, you know, do you have, I hate to say stamina and endurance, but maybe I'll just say, do you have the focus to be able to play all of that stuff down? Um, so yeah, that's, that's another tip that I got from him a week out, just running the whole list. And then once I get to a few days out, by that point, the mocks don't matter as much. So maybe if you're doing 10 to 11 days of straight mocks, I start to limit that maybe one a day um, just to, just to kind of get used to what that feels like. Because again, at this point, if you're running the list every single day during the mocks, you're doing about three or four mocks a day. It's mm -hmm. a lot. You know, so it's a lot of listening to yourself and making notes and making adjustments. So you're getting in the reps. So at that point, it's about making sure that you're fine-tuned, making sure that you're staying hydrated, making sure that you have, you know, do you need to drive to the airport? It's more like logistical stuff a few days before. And then figuring out exactly uh, what you're going to be practicing and playing the first uh, few days before you, you leave. 
So if you've done everything properly and you're feeling good and you haven't burned yourself out, um, usually the day before, I like to get in the day before an audition, typically like mid-afternoon. That way I can do a warm-up session. I can do fundamentals in the morning, then hit the flight. Then when I get to my location, do another session just to kind of like check in. And um, one of the things that was a game changer for me on this last audition was that I had also gotten used to having a pretty steady routine leading up into the audition. And so I wanted to recreate that the day of. So I knew, and this is one of the, the hard things about military band auditions is that they usually start very early, sometimes seven, 7.30. So, um, oh, this brings up another good point. Um, when you know the audition time, like your slot, I would make sure that I would always begin the mocks at that time. So like if I had an eight o'clock slot, I would do, you know, that means I got hit to the practice room at 6.30 to reenact that. And I would figure out how much time in between I wanted to break and then start the mock at that time. That way your body's getting used to turning the switch on. Here we go. Uh, it's game time type of thing. Um, that was something that I did that last audition that I didn't do the previous ones. So anyway, usually the night before I have, you know, they have like the pen and paper in the hotels and stuff. So I say, I map out the morning, exactly what I'm going to do. And so I think I had an 830 audition and I had to be there at 730. So I wanted to leave at seven to get there by like 730. And then I also wanted to run because that's something that I've been doing leading up to it. So again, allowing, even though the, your surroundings are changing, your day-to-day kind of like tactical, like this is what I do kind of is staying the same. Right. And so your body's not being completely shocked. So when I went into the audition, it was like, oh, this is like a normal day, just a different place. Yeah. Right. So I woke up, went for a run, ate breakfast, changed, uh, and then got in the Uber and it was like clockwork. It was like, yeah, it's just a normal day, just a different city. And I think that prepared me really well. Cause I think a lot of people get a little shook the day of because they're like, oh, here we go. You know, but I knew exactly what I wanted to do that morning. And, um, so yeah, and I did the exact same warm up that I needed to do spot checked a few things then put the horn away. And this is another thing that gets a little bit difficult or tough particularly if it's your first few auditions is you're in that room with so many trumpet players. I mean, with COVID, they limited the amount of people, but you know, in a typical audition, you know, you could have 30, 40 people in the warm-up room playing at any time. So being able to say, this is my routine, this is what I'm going to hit, then actually putting the horn away because the temptation is to keep playing because you hear people. And I remember I did that on my first audition. And by the time I went to the round, I was toast, you know, yeah. So that's a big thing, a lesson learned from the past. Yeah. And I think one of the big takeaways too is I recorded every round and I made notes in between rounds. I listened to my audition and I made notes on pluses and minuses because in case they call that excerpt again, I could say, okay, this needs a little bit more in that room or this needs this or this and that. That way I can make those adjustments coming into it. Um, and I think also too, it just kind of like settles you because it gives you something to do. Um, another thing that gets overlooked is bringing food and drink to your audition. So I packed, I had my snacks, I had my water, I had every, I was self-sufficient. 
And that's the biggest thing is going in, being self-sufficient, knowing exactly what the goal is for the day. And, um, you know, regardless of how you play, it's like, you got to put your best foot forward. And so really all the prep that takes place, I mean, it's like, really, it's like all the way to the end of the day, because you can see like, even the day out, there's still prep, even between rounds, there's still prep. It's like, it's not done until, you know, you've won it or they've sent you home, you know? So it's, it's a very exhaustive type of process. And I really relate this to marathon training because in marathons, you will, you know, for me, I like to give myself like six to eight months to prep, to really go at something. And every time I finished an audition, I was always exhausted. And the last thing I wanted to do was turn around and be like, all right, let's get it again. It was like, no, I need a break. And after every marathon, I always give myself a week off to just do whatever. And then I start training again. And, um, same thing with auditions. I remember this was a mistake that I made. I had two auditions that were kind of like back to back. And I was just, by the time I got to the second one, I was so fatigued. I was so tired. And I remember a Pershing's audition came open and it was like a month later. And I was like, no, I'm not into it mentally. I can't, you know? And, and so that's a big, important thing too. That's very exhausting, as you know, like prepping for the audition that you want it. You need some time afterwards to kind of chill. And it's like, it can be a burnout for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's great. That's a lot of excellent information. Um, I hope it was, I hope it made sense. I know it's kind of like piecing stuff together, but it's, it's so many, it's not just one thing. I think a lot of people look for audition prep and audition planning and, and look for like, oh, this is how you do it. But it's a culmination of so many things, just like with working out. I mean, there's so many things that lead to success. You know, you, you can't, be physically healthy if you don't sleep right and even if you sleep a lot if you eat bad it's not gonna add gains to your you know it's like there's so many factors that go into it i i definitely like the idea of mapping out your day like the day of the audition all right and like you say you, you run every day so it's like well i'm gonna do that even on the day of that audition i think a lot of people would be like afraid to do something like that because they feel like, well, I'm going to wear, uh, wear myself out physically. And it's like, no, I do this every single day. So I need to do this on audition day and having like everything like mapped out like where I'm going to eat, how long I'm going to play, you know, and, and having everything scheduled. I think that's great. I definitely think that's something that's overlooked. Um, like, because when I was taking some like auditions, um that is one thing I did I was like well I'm gonna like you know get up at this time you know I'm gonna have my coffee even though you know my my recital is early in the morning but I drink coffee every morning when I do my routine so I want to make sure I do that and everything is exactly the same as it would be if I was home you know just doing my normal day um so I think that's great um so could you, you know, talk about, so, you know, you've done all these things, you're in the audition room and let's say, you know, you play your first round um, and let's say it goes really well and you're called back for second round. What do you do? Is there anything you do between the first and second round or you're just like resting and just like getting yourself mentally focused again? Or is there like some practicing you do or like, like flow studies? Or is there anything you do in between those, that first round, second round, and hopefully the final round? 
Yeah. So in between the second and the final round, because it's funny, because I've taken four military auditions and the first three I didn't advance. And then the last one was the one that actually advanced and won. And I remember once I got past that first round, it was like a weight was lifted because all I ever wanted to do, I mean, I wanted to win a job, but really at that point, I just want to make it past the first round. And, uh, you know, some people just want to get invited. Some people want to win. Some people want to just get past certain rounds you know so like we're all in a different place within that and um you know for me I was like man I just want to advance and once I advanced it was like oh cool all right the pressure's taken off and what I did was I usually they'll post the list so I look at the list compile my my music together because I use my, my music I don't use the music that they give me I mean because they give you the list um like when they send you the packet and stuff. So it's not like in an orchestra where it's like you have to find the music. It's like it's given to you. And I use it because it has my notes. So sometimes on some music, I would have like, think this or be this, you know? So like I would have notes to myself to remember, oh, okay, I need to be playful in this one. It's like a nice little reminder. Um, honestly, really, I would ask what time does the second round start? And then um, you would kind of pull straws or lots or whatever to see like who, who would go. And then I would figure out, okay, they're going to call me at this, like, I basically figure out, okay, you're going to play at this time, which means you're going to take you to the warm-up room at this time, so I wouldn't play, um, maybe a few minutes before the warm-up room, I would start to get my horn out, play a little bit of flow studies, um, that, in that last audition, like, VC studies, flow studies, all that stuff, I would, I would do just a little bit, just to touch it, and then when I got into the warm-up room, before they pulled me, um, sometimes I would just start, a few of the excerpts like the first one or whatever and that was about it it was really at that point because if you start to play too much you're going to get in your head and so if you're playing and everything feels good trust it mm -hmm. and that's a really really hard thing when the pressure is on it's to like trust that you've done the work and that's where the mental side of it comes from where it was like when I got to it I remember being like dude you've done this so many times <laughs> like no need to worry you got it like trust yourself and so that was the thing that I did in between the first round in between the second round. Um, yeah, I didn't really play much. I ate a little bit, drank some water. Uh, actually, what I did after the first round is I had a little like Starbucks drink, but I knew I didn't want to take, um, couldn't drink a whole lot of coffee because I get jittery with that stuff, particularly in like high performance type of situations. So I sipped a little bit of it just to get the caffeine, like just enough. And then it was crazy because it was like, when it got time to play, it wore off because it was just a little bit. And I was like, cool. Cause I started to feel the little crash and a little dip. And so I needed a little upper almost. Um, yeah. That's something that I've learned too, as well. Kind of pacing that. <laughs> Gotta have your uppers. On. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you can talk about your, your, your last audition, obviously. So you, you, you made, I'm assuming they were with three rounds um okay so you made it to the final round um was there what two other people there in the final round or it's just you yeah there was there was three of us total in the final round and it was pretty it, i think it was about 45 minutes long a piece okay. um because it involved a list which was pretty extensive it was the longest list at that time then we had sight reading then we had brass quintet playing and then we had interview so in the brass quintet playing, was there, I mean, I'm assuming you knew that would be a possibility. Is there anything you did 
in preparation for that? Or is this like, well, I've played in a bunch of quintets. I, I know a lot of the rap. I understand like what the goal is. It's about blend and being sensitive to your surroundings and the people you're playing with. So, I mean, I might be just throwing thoughts in your head, but like, is there anything that you did or was thinking about going into that part of the, of the audition? Yeah, for sure. And I forgot to mention too, uh, because this is ceremonial brass, there was a marching and memorized portion as well. Uh, so with the quintet, we it was sight reading. So you were sight reading with the quintet. And I was fortunate enough at that time to also be playing with Florida State's faculty quintet. So I had been getting experience playing with, you know, seasoned quintet people. And uh, when I got in that setting, in that environment, I was on first. Now with the faculty quintet, I was always playing second, but I was playing second to Dr. Moore. But I'm a big observer and people watcher. And so I watched how he led and how he played and did his thing. And it was the same thing when I got into that first position or playing first part, a lot of the pieces maybe started with just me or me bringing in everybody. And I remember just thinking like, you have to have authority when yeah. you bring these people in. You can't be timid. You can't be scared. You have to pretend or just have the faith and trust in yourself that like you can do this thing and you lead and they will follow. And so this was one of those spots where I had to turn the, the switch on and be like, all right, I'm the leader in this position. Boom, here we go. And I remember looking at everybody before I would start pieces. You guys ready? Yep bringing them in, that type of thing. And just, I think having that kind of trust in yourself. And again, I, I go back to authority because when you see somebody that just has command over what they do, you're more willing to follow, you know? So, um, and then also just to like authority and playing as well. And I think, I remember I was like, maybe I was a little too bullish playing wise. Um, but I think at that point I was so energized and energetic playing with the quintet you know, that I was playing maybe just a little bit above, not above, I want to say like maybe dynamically I could have come down just a little bit. Um, but, but no, it was, it was great. And I think another thing too is again, your sight reading. So the focus was like, okay, just play this thing down, try to play some phrasing, try to play pretty. Like there was a lot that you could think about at that time. Yeah. Awesome. And in the interview portion of the audition, what type of things were they asking or what type of things were they looking for? Yeah, sure. So one of them was, you know, why this position, um, you know, why military bands in general? Um, they asked, you know, with the job specifically, it's a lot of outdoor playing, a lot of, you know, heat, cold, all seasons, that kind of thing. How do you feel about that? It's a lot of standing. Um, it's the military. It's this and that. They basically are just kind of probe you just to kind of see what you think. And then, of course, they ask, do you have any questions at the end? And that was a thing that I always made a point is to always ask questions. Um, and so I kind of flipped it, the question on them. I think I asked, like, um, what do you enjoy about the job? you know, what's a great takeaway or something that you enjoy. And, and I remember they said the people, the people that you work with, you know, and, and I think it's important too, because you're, they're interviewing you and this is something that you talked about, but you're also interviewing them. Um, and so just having questions available, I think shows that you've actually put some thought into what you're doing. It's not like, oh, oh well, I just want to win a job. It's like, no, like, I want to make sure like, I understand a little bit more of the organization and, and, and what it is that they do. And, and typically with the military, you understand because it aligns with Department of Defense and all these national defense uh, 
idea. So you kind of know what they're about, which is, you know, good because you can, that's readily available to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they asked, um, you know, if, if we asked your professor, what would they say about you, this and that, um, you know, your experience, you know, that's actually the one time where they look at your resume. I remember going to the finals, that's when they actually printed off my resume and uh, had it there and we're looking over it. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So they've done the interview, you've done the you've done all the playing portion, and it's just you and the people. So do they just announce it right there with the three candidates on stage or like what's that process like? Yeah, so our holding room where we waited was in a conference room. And so in the finals, I was actually first out of three to play. So I had to wait a good bit. Um, and in that waiting, I listened back to the round. I made my notes and then I just chilled. I just listened to music and I was just like, yeah, whatever. At this point, like today was a good day regardless. Um, and then, yeah, after all three people had played, um, the proctor comes in and says, you know, in our position, you know, he was like, you know, we'd like to offer someone the job. Uh, thank you for coming out. You know, this is how many people, they basically give you a summary of like X amount of people submitted tapes. We accepted this many, you guys are the final three. And then, uh, the glorious moment when they say your name and you're the last person standing. And I just remember being like, wow, like it happened. Awesome. And, and I was excited because one, I think we always talk about, and this is something that I'm dealing with, with my injury recoveries. We always talk about like wanting to trust the process and do these things. And when it actually works out and you trust the process and you go through the steps and you put the work in and you see the fruit of your labor, it has such a deep meaning for you that you feel that regardless of what you do in your life, like as long as you have a process and a plan and you execute chances are it's not always going to go your way but you have a stronger chance of that happening and I think for me that was a confidence builder that regardless of what I do in my life like this is a big boost of like starting from zero to and then going to a hundred you know and um yeah then from there uh you go meet with the colonel meet with some other people some chiefs and um you know they do some paperwork some processing and then you figure out okay from here the military side of it, you know, figuring out, making sure you're medically cleared and all that kind of stuff. And then I remember too, uh, one of the band members had to drive me to the airport because I don't think we finished till like five, five thirty. So it's a long day. It was about a 12 hour day from when I woke up to when it ended. And then you get on the plane ride home. And I remember the next day, uh, back to school because <laughs> the audition was on a Wednesday and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot. And that's why they're very tiring. I'm sure it was a lot easier to go back to school though knowing I <laughs> yeah except for uh when Dr. Moore was like hey I have a plan we can finish your master's degree in one semester and I was like all right, all right here we go <laughs> I still remember when you texted me that you win the job and I was like wow that's awesome I was really excited yeah I remember I think I called you and I was at uh Ronald Reagan airport I like got yeah. the terminal and uh same thing because Dr. Moore called me and uh, you know, after I won, they're like, I was like, can I call my wife? You know, I called my wife and told her and then called my parents. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was very surreal. And it's one of those things that you won't ever forget. You know, it's almost like when you, I mean, you know, when you get called, when you've been offered positions, but yeah, I always kind of think of it like, like the draft, so to speak, like NFL, NBA draft, they call your name and you're like, wow, 
and then it's like then you kind of deal with everything after that imposter syndrome all that kind of stuff and it's like oh man now the real work begins and but I think um to know that you had a process in place and to execute it is just a really great feeling that's awesome um it's definitely thorough like thinking of thinking from you know when you see the first post of the job the process that you took to to do the audition and doing the audition and being fortunate enough to advance to you know the final round and winning the job and kind of reliving that moment it's it's quite remarkable um i i very one reason why i asked that question because i have no idea what that's like i mean i understand like the audition process and doing the audition but what is it like to be in that final three and like they call your name only you know not that many people get the chance to experience that and know what that's like and so thank you for sharing that's great yeah for sure for sure so i mean you mentioned um john kilgore a few times of using his his audition approach and john is a, a good friend of mine as you know and a friend of the show uh so eventually i guess we might have to have john on here he can talk more yeah and I've, I've talked to john about that uh, uh, quite a few times and he, he's done a master class for my students he's talked about that so it's actually a really great plan on um in terms of like preparing for an audition so uh if people out there want to know more about it just you know shoot us a message we can you know link you up with john and talk to you about it and well, you know, I'm just volunteering his time. So yeah, okay. well, and I want to say too, you know, something that's really important is people look at auditions as either like a win or a loss. And I say it's a win-win because after every audition, you can learn from what worked and what diff didn't. And that was the thing that I did after those auditions was like, okay, what worked, what didn't, this is getting better. Oh, I'm, maybe I didn't advance. Well, obviously I didn't advance, but I felt more confident in that round. I feel like things are starting to click. So then you start, it's just fine tuning. And then when he sent me that thing, it was like, oh, I don't have to uh, figure it out. Here it is. Here's something that I can stick to in a plan. And let's see how that, that goes. Because I remember sitting with Dr. Moore and he's like, all right, what's your plan? This was my second audition. I was like, uh, he's like, you got to have a plan and you can't leave anything to chance. Yeah. And I remember that and thinking like wow like you really can't just be like well I'm, I'm a good enough player and it's like no it doesn't matter there's really good players that are going to show up it's a different beast it's a different animal and so having you know dr moore advise me and, and kind of like literally he mapped out like a calendar on like his notepad and was like all right you have this many weeks this is what you should be doing here 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 um and then having john kilgore sing and kind of meshing those and just kind of having that experience i think really really helped me out yeah absolutely absolutely you gotta have a plan and you know and even if you don't advance as you said like you know you take what you've learned in that experience and what you did in the fishing room and and you move forward i was is i was watching this uh, thing on youtube of a group of actors of this tv show that i watched and they were just talking about their sh show and their process and one of the the young ladies on the show she's um i guess the newest member on the cast and they were asking her about the audition process she's like yeah you know i i went in i did all this preparation for the role and 
and I just laid it out there and I just thought about it. She said, like, in my year doing this, I know you just can't hold on to that. So you do the work, you do the audition and you just let it go. You can like almost forget about it. And if you get a call back, great. If not, you keep going to the next audition. So I think there's definitely some truth to that, to what we do as well. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, that was definitely great and really, really good information about auditioning and preparation. And obviously, you know, since it's a military band, this also like translates to orchestral auditions. In many cases, even, you know, college teaching positions, there's a lot of crossovers in that. Um, so before we go, on a lighter note, <laughs> uh, we got to talk about some other things. What are we listening to, right? So um, I'll go first, since you just told us about your, your life story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been listening to quite a few things this past or a week or two or however long it's been. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of chamber music, brass quintets, or really chamber music of all genres. So one group I, I've been listening to is Center City Brass Quintet, which is a group I first started listening to in high school. Um, I had, it was like Center City Brass Quintet, American Brass Quintet were like the two quintets I would just like listen to all the time. Um, so I, I listened to their, their newest album called Nexus. Um, it had some standards on there, like the plug and some um, pieces written by um, Anthony DeLorenzo, who's one of the trumpet players in the group. Um, but it's a really great album. Definitely check it out. I think it's on Spotify, Apple Music. You can easily uh, find it. Um, and I, I've been listening to this piece. I don't know if you know it. Uh, it's called The Tooth Suite by Claudia Boiling. He's a French uh, film composer, uh, or he was a, a French composer, mostly written like music for television, film. Um, so it's a piece for trumpet and basically like a, a, a jazz combo. So like trumpet, jazz, piano, bass, and drums. And it's a, it's a piece I've thought about doing in the future. Um, it's extremely difficult. Uh, it's like 40 minutes. Ooh, wow. It, and it's like, I think six or seven movements. So you, it's, there's a movement on C trumpet, it was like two movements on pillow, flugelhorn, E flat, cornet. So it's one of those, you know, where yeah, you all the bases, right? Um, but it's a super cool piece. Um, it's definitely like inspired by like um, like classic rock. You can kind of hear that film, or like it reminds me a lot of like the Beatles and the Eagles, like that kind of genre of music in there. Um, but uh, Maurice Andre recorded it, did the first recording, obviously, it being a French composer. And like, I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, this is extremely difficult music. And like, he's just, granted, I know it's a recording, so you, he probably didn't do, it wasn't like a live recording, but you know, I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole and I found a dissertation about this piece. And like, the guy who wrote it, um, he did a survey of all these other uh, well-known trumpet players who played this piece and they all talk about like how hard it is. And like one person in particular, I think it was Phil Smith. He's like, yeah, I haven't even done the whole thing. I've done maybe four movements. Like he's just, it's just like, it's too much. Wow. And 
he he interviews the composer and composer like I you know Maurice could do it so I didn't think it was a big deal <laughs> so it's but it's a really cool piece so people don't know that the, the toot sweet t-o-o-t um sweet um Mar there's a few recordings but Maurice Andre is like the recording that he worked with the composer on it um so you know really really cool piece uh if you you know you're into that kind of thing Jeez, well, mine's less impressive than that. Uh, wow, no dissertations on my end. <laughs> no, that's great though, man. I, I love that. Uh, it's inspiring too, because it's like the growth never stops, you know? Um, no, it's, that's awesome. So you mentioned this group before, I may have to Wolfpack. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just listening to them more. Um, typically, like when I'm on the trainer, like on, the, on my bike doing rides, um, kind of, they have you know, so many albums out. And then it's cool because different musicians, almost like a snarky puppy, different musicians have their own music too. So like Corey Wong, he's one of the guitarists. He's got, uh, what do they call it? Corey Wong and the Wong notes, I think. Uh, it's killer though. They got some, some great music. Um, so yeah, just been listening to a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, there's a rapper named KB that I've been listening to. And I actually did listen to the, um, uh, what was the album that you talked about last two weeks ago? Oh, his name is slipping me. Um, what's his name? I don't know. Someone that I mentioned? Yeah, two weeks ago. He came out with a new album. Oh, J. Cole. Yeah, yeah. so I listened to that uh, about a week ago. I listened to that whole album as well, um, which then led me to listening to like old Kendrick stuff, yeah. which is crazy now because it's like, man, some of that stuff came out seven eight years ago you know longer and it's like whoo man time is flying um yeah so that's kind of been uh where i've been at no dissertations on my yeah. end <laughs> well you know kendrick lamari is a, a Pulitzer prize winning uh, uh artist so there you go yeah yeah there you go <laughs> awesome well Hopefully, you know, our listeners check out those artists, those CDs or albums. I don't even know what we call them. Like I guess they're technically albums, but they're not in the same sense. Like, it's all just like MP3s, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's just the world we live in. It's funny because, like, I, so my, I got a new phone, right? And it doesn't have, you know, an audio jack. So I'm like, in my car, my car still has a CD player. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I can, like listen to music from my phone because I used to just plug it into my like audio jack. And it's just funny like how fast like technology evolves where like, you know, my last phone had an audio jack. Now I can't even use that anymore. So it's like everything becomes so obsolete so quickly. Uh, sorry. My no, it's true. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we want to thank you all for listening to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. Um, it, we hope that, you know, have out new, new content very, very soon. We hope that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars, please. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, your students, anything like that. Um, and we want to thank you all for having a cup of coffee with us today. And until next time, we'll see you guys soon. And thank you again. See you next time.